0: Like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at live on 4 Oh, Smashville.
1: I don't know. You but up here on stage, the room sounds pretty good. I think they built it for music. That makes no uh, surprise. Hey, i gone. We've been looking forward to this one uh, shit for about two and a half years actually. That's going to do quite nicely. I'll share you some later. Um, so, real quick, I got a, I got a text from a, a friend today and, and it said simply, This town is on fire. <laughs> I was like, Well, yeah, it makes sense. You know, Friday in Nashville, he said, No, it was the same yesterday and the day before and the day before. So, I think it's maybe summer in nashville of which we are very happy to be able to spend part of it with you all here tonight thank you for coming
0: and away we go you're listening to live on four legs the live pearl jam podcast experience featuring mr
1: stone Castle. Fucking camera in a jump Mr. Boom Gasper! You can call me L, you can call me Ed, you just just fucking
0: call me, why don't you? Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. This week kicks off a month of stories, and last month we told all of your stories, and we love telling your stories. However, we've told a lot of our stories, and it's not often that we do get to tell our stories, even though we did do Chicago a month ago and we took care of that, but still there are shows that we went to that we haven't covered at all which is kind of crazy because we're heading in on year six here. But five shows that either I or John or both of us were at. It just so happens that we're going to kick off today with the Nashville 2022 show that both of us were at. We'll get into all the stories and all the details into that. But also, you may know that we had a little bit of news this past week. There was indeed a private screening a listening party, if you will, for what is going to be the 12th studio album of Pearl Jams. And we were able to get some information here and there, so we're going to react to a little bit of it here. And again, it's just another thing to get excited for as we're on this roll for 2024 that we know we're in for something pretty big. So I'm excited to talk a little bit about that. Let's get right into it. Randy Subble over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Hey, we're getting so close. did you get Did getting you get close. invited? You got invited, right? Oh, of course.
2: Yeah, totally. I, I had like a plus three. Sorry, I know you couldn't make it, but uh, no, no. You if, took if your only, wife and kids? If only, if only, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, no, I, I, I couldn't make it either. But I was more than excited to hear what happened and all the things that kind of went down on this night. And we're going to take it from the spin article because our good friend, Jonathan Cohen, was there. And he gave a little insight as to what was going on there a little bit. And we remember when we talked to him a couple of years ago, we talked about being at the gigaton listening party and doing tequila shots with Ed and everything like that and how fun that was and him getting to do it again and write about it for spin. Very, very cool. Now, some of the quotes that came from this are very interesting because Ed, when he says no hyperbole, I think this is our best work and then played the record that is something okay do do you think they say it after every album or is it something that they Mm. really feel with their heart you know what i mean i think it's a little bit of both a little bit okay i mean everything whenever anything feels fresher like yes this is the best i've felt in years you know what i mean especially artistically
2: right there's two things that stick out to me on this one is Jeff, who says got emotional while describing the experience of making the album, that tells me that we're in for something that's hopefully a little deeper, we're going to get something real, we're going to get something emotional, something powerful, and then of course you always look for songs that are going to translate well live, and then we understand there's one song that has a chorus with a lot of chanting and fist pumping, that to me sounds like they're thinking about how these songs are going to work in a live setting, and that makes me happy.
0: Yeah, I'm obviously excited about how these songs are going to work live, but the themes of what these songs are are very interesting because this feels kind of like a growing old album while gigaton was political and kind of had a message to it with a bunch of the songs, you know, whether it be climate change, whether it be overtly political with something like seven o'clock, this has themes of more of the human element, stuff like human connection or lack thereof aging, parenting, and things of that nature. And it's interesting because I think you have to take into account that usually when there's a Democrat in office, their albums and their themes are a little bit lighter. You go back to Backspacer and Lightning Bolt and not a lot of heavy political stuff on those records. Maybe like one or two has a little bit here and there, but I wonder if that was their thing It's just like, we're not angry right now, but we feel like we're in this position where people are growing old with us and people can relate to the place that we're at in our lives. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about Pearl Jam sometimes is they can capture that and then relate it to their audience.
2: Yeah, I wonder if this is going to be their lockdown album. And we saw a bunch of these a couple of years ago from a lot of bands who were stuck at home and had nothing to do. And Pearl Jam wasn't able to tour in 2020, 2021. We know they started making this album in 2021 and 2022. So I wonder if some of the things he's talking about, like, yeah, lack of human connection, state of the world, getting older, parenting, some of the things he mentions here, that's going to be a lot of stuff that a lot of people were thinking about during that time because we're stuck at home. So I wonder if that's going to be like kind of the underlying current through this.
0: Yeah, it certainly could be. And we all know that COVID and everything that went down on COVID, there's no lack of themes. There's no lack of stories for everybody. You sit at home, you either watch news or you kind of see how things develop and you don't see friends. Like that's a huge chunk of your life almost that you're not connecting with people. And yeah, I'm really interested to see how this goes about because obviously it's a Pearl jam record. (laughs) Need I say more, Mm -hmm. but I like the direction that they're going with here. I like how there's been a lot of reports saying it's going to be a heavy record, which I'm absolutely looking forward to lots of good things. And we'll have all the details whenever we have the details. And we'll talk about it at full length when we do all the stuff that matters. And we promise we won't keep you in the dark on that. All right, before we get into Nashville, I just want to address something right here and just send an in memoriam to MC5's Wayne Kramer, an absolute legend in punk rock and just... One of those people that has inspired music for generations. I want to talk about Wayne Kramer a little bit and what his legacy means. Yeah, I mean, the MC5
2: were just a legendary band out of Detroit in the late 60s, early 70s, you know, around the same time as the Stooges. I think they even predated the Stooges by a little bit. And Wayne Kramer, they were notoriously just riotous live. Like, Talk about bands that would just come on and destroy. They had a flash for a few years and then went away. And it was a long time in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that people were pushing, like, well, you got to have the MC5 and you got to have the MC5. And, you know, Wayne Kramer had been around doing solo stuff, making a career out of what he had. But Kick Out the Jams is kind of this timeless, classic rock and roll song. It's been covered by hundreds of people, Pearl Jam included. But I don't think a lot of people knew who the MC5 were. I think there was a concerted effort, especially a few years ago, with the MC-50 stuff that Cameron was a part of, where they got the surviving original members back and did a little reunion and played some shows to get them the appreciation and acclaim that they never had when they were around. But yeah, I mean, if you go listen to those records, it'll blow your mind that that stuff came out in like 1968, 1969. Doesn't sound like anything that was going on at the time, but... It's definitely a big loss for rock and roll. I mean, the guy was a legend.
0: If you want to go back, actually, the MC50 thing is really interesting because MC50 played at the Rock Worker Festival in 2018. And that night, Ed invited Wayne Kraber on stage to do Kick Out the Jams. And whenever you get to connect with somebody of that, that holds that kind of influence, even if it's 50 years after the band. That's important, and it holds that in really, really high regard whenever that happens. So glad it did. Just wanted to remember a legend today as we move forth in 2024.
2: Go kick out the jams one more time for him,
0: Motherfucker. All right. Let's talk about Nashville a little bit now. So for me, it's interesting. I think your story might be a little more interesting than mine, but you have to kind of remember – I was on a swing of doing what was essentially six in a row, and this one was number four. So this was right smack in the middle and experiencing some great ones coming off of Camden. That's a really, really tough one to beat in any scenario. And just traveling to Nashville. I had been there before. I actually went to Nashville prior to the Memphis show in 2014 because I wanted to experience it. And I even think that, from the time where I was there eight years ago, I felt like it changed almost in a way that it was way more of a party town. And granted, I was there on a Monday night in the pouring rain. Places were still packed, but there weren't like bachelorette cars going around where, you know, they playing the loud music and all that. Like it's a scene down there, right down Broadway everybody partying outside and there's music as far as the eye can see where you can get new school country, you can get old school country, you can get bluegrass. And it was eye-opening. It felt like I had a more Nashvilleian experience than I did in 2014. And it's also easier when you have friends with you and you can share kind of that experience together. And I was hanging out mostly with Patrick and Bradley spent a lot of time with that was my first time meeting Bradley and spent a lot of time with Brian and his friend, Doug, who became good friends with. So yeah, I remember a lot more of hanging out with people and the heat. (laughs) the hot, hot heat, I suppose. What's your, cause again, yours is more interesting. You didn't have three shows that you went to before going into this one. So you're looking at this show from a completely different perspective.
2: Yeah. I mean, I hadn't been to a show since Wrigley 2016. So it had been a little more than six years. I remember when these were announced. I mean, this one was the no-brainer because it's about four hours from Atlanta. And like, we were hoping to get an Atlanta show. We'll talk about that a little more next week. That hasn't happened. So yeah, when these were announced, Nashville, Louisville, that was going to be the run. St. Louis tried to work in there. But yeah, Nashville was the one that I had circled to be like, it's a music town. That's the one I got to get to. That's the one I put in for first. And it was great to just be back in that environment because... I got to go to five shows in 2016. That was the most I'd been to in a year ever by a lot. And then to just have that kind of fall off and go six years without it, you know, I started to miss it because like we're doing the podcast, we're talking to people, you know, doing shows, people are traveling, going around and getting a little antsy about like, oh man, I can't wait to be back and just be back in that environment surrounded by Pearl Jam fans and just feel that anticipation and excitement, you know, throughout the day. So drove up there really early. Hung out for a little bit, met you guys. I think we ended up hanging out with Patrick and Brad for a while. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, just walking around and seeing all the Pro fans. I think when I first got there, I just walked around the venue. Like, I just wanted to, like, just take it all in. And, like, I didn't do a crazy merch line thing, didn't do GA. So I was just, like, walking around. I just wanted to, like, just take it in. So I walked around the whole venue, did a full circle around, just looking at people, talking to people. Oh, Hey, what's up? Like, what do you think you're going to play? Like doing that whole thing? Just cause I just wanted to be a part of it again.
0: Yeah, it's actually, this is really interesting for MSG. I stayed a block away from the garden. I stayed in like a fairfield Inn that was right down the street where you can walk out the door. You can essentially spit on the building, but I wasn't able to see the view from my window. However, in the hotel that we were staying in, in Nashville, I looked out the window and I could see the big Predators logo on the Bridgestone Arena. That is literally, again, I think I could probably spit past the arena if I wanted to. It was that close. So for me, yeah, because I don't like traveling with posters. I try not to do it. It can tend to be a pain. I recruit people to get me pins and stickers sometimes, so I definitely didn't want to wait in line for that, but I'm going to post at some point this week because I took a lot of video from that just hanging out and stuff like that. I was doing trivia with people, and one of the videos that I got that I want to show you guys is that insane merch line. And how it went from the front of the building and wrapped around one side all the way on Broadway. And then turned, it made a right turn and went all the way down that way on the back street. And then you even made a left turn and you saw people that were just getting in line over there. Now, that is one thing. The second thing on that is that they didn't get to open the merch on time at all i think they were off by like 90 minutes if i'm not mistaken Mm. so they were really late to the punch getting it so imagine being on that line for that long and it's just an even slower process to get there on top of that as i mentioned it was so damn hot that day intolerable
2: oh we're used to it down here
0: i understand that (laughs) but you know I've lived by the water for most of my life, so I don't necessarily get that. Yeah, I think the idea was that whenever you're doing something, just go inside a place. And I remember Chris ever met up with us. I can't remember what bar this was, but this is a very like old town kind of country bar where they were playing fiddles and everything like that. Met with Glenn Bovey that day in that bar and got to meet his wife as well and yeah we basically just sat there it was really cramped from what i remember and there was no service at all so people that were trying to get in touch with you no dice there were a lot of people that were like hey where you at i want to i want to meet up and i was just i can't get any signal at all i can't text i can't message nothing so we just hung out there and kind of evaded the heat for a little while for like an hour or two and then once it got closer to showtime Patrick was doing something. I don't remember. He might've been at another bar and some other people might've been other places. That's when I went out and tried to do trivia with people waiting in line because you know, why not? But the interesting thing, I went back to the instant reaction episode for this because I I don't quite remember almost how I felt after the show. Cause again, there are four shows that I went to on that run that were much better. And that's not saying anything bad about Nashville. Like those shows just felt like they were catered to me. And look, my reaction was great. And I really loved it. But one of the things that I said doing trivia is that I kind of thought that our opener might've been nothing, man, because I asked somebody in the trivia whether or not they knew when the only time Nothing Man opened a show was. I don't know. It was on my mind. And then meeting up with David Ritter, if you guys know David Ritter, he's been on the show. He's patroned had an episode request from long ago, and he was there with his daughter, Sarah. And this is kind of important because this is one of the best stories that has been told by a fan on this podcast. It's extremely emotional that in Cincinnati in 2014, David and Sarah, and Sarah was kind of a last minute, you're coming to the show with me kind of dragon. And when they did Nothing Man, I think like the second or third song, they both had like an extremely emotional moment together. So when I caught up with them, when we got inside the arena, I was so close to telling him that prediction, but I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to freak him out or anything like that. I just... I, I, I just didn't want to say anything, because then again, what if you're wrong? I'm wrong a lot. doesn't matter if I'm wrong, but it, I had it in my mind, and then when they did it, I was like, okay, uh, maybe I should make more predictions, and maybe I should tell people about predictions more. But yeah, that's sort of the baseline of memories, and look, you go places, and you, you have a drink, and you talk to people, and I got to talk to a lot of people this day. I do remember that. You
2: were sitting kind of up on Stoneside, side, right? I was, yeah.
0: Yeah. Where were I was
2: you on, again? I was on the floor behind the GA in the chairs, kind of on the back of the floor. And right. I remember this. This is the show that I was sitting next to. There was an older couple to my left. And I say that guy was probably in his late 50s, early 60s. And he would stand up for the early 90s songs. And anytime there was a Gigaton song, he would sit down and very obviously like, nope, don't care, not into it. And then the next Phytology song would come in, he'd stand up, clap and into it. So I was just watching this, the whole show, like, all right, that's an interesting way to intake this, that your, your little silent protest back here in row G of the seats back here. It was, it was interesting to watch.
0: All right. Well, I think we get into the set list now because it's a pretty good show. A lot of you guys were there, obviously. And I feel like you traveling from the South, I feel like a lot of people came from the South. People from the Northeast that were had been following along went to Camden and wanted to travel the way. And then a lot of Midwest people, Chicago people yeah. that didn't get a Chicago show that year, was doing that loop of Nashville, Louisville, and St. Louis. And I think we got to bring that up, too, is that that weekend, we were all pretty hesitant on. Like are terrified. they going to make I'll, it I'll say
2: terrified, terrified. Oh, I was you were I was not, a mess. I was not convinced they were that St. Louis was going to happen.
0: Yeah, you were a mess with that. Yeah, and I was just like, you know what? Play by ear. Let's wait and see. Like I get it, and I kind of thought that they would go a little bit easier at this show. And there's a lot of things down tuned. I wonder if that had something to do with it. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. But it's on your mind for the most part. And Ed honestly sounds really, really good here. He sounded really, really good in St. Louis, so there was no Paris thing, and he just went through it and got there. We were very, very fortunate to have that. As mentioned, for the second time, but not the last time in their history, I feel like we're going to see this again in 2024 as an opener somewhere. Maybe not a lot. I'm thinking at least once. The aforementioned Nothing Man, the rare opener here. For the second time,
1: though, war was divided. There's nothing left to subtract. Some words, when spoken. That cannot be taken back. Walks on his own with thoughts he can't help thinking. The future's above, but in the past he's slow and sinking. Caught a to lightning The day he let it
0: gotta say, I love this as an opener. I think it gives you a lot of the similarities that Small Town gives you, but it's not a full sing-along. It develops into a sing-along a little bit. And it still has like the cadence of building to things. And I'm not saying that Small Town doesn't have a build, but there's a serious crescendo in Nothing Man when he obviously gets to that part where everybody's singing pretty high and all that and you were able to feel the weight on it i really thought they they went for it on this version it wasn't like a, hey everybody how you doing like let's get all together in this this was a pretty like let's go for it version and everybody just followed suit i agree
2: i think this is fantastic i thought ed sounded great on it nothing man is one of their best under the radar sing-along songs You've got your Corduroy's and all your songs from 10 and your Better Man's and things like that, but those have all been played 500, 600, 700 times. This is only the 144th time looking at live footsteps here, and it's like, that's not enough to have it be overplayed for people where people are tired of it. Like, you know, if they open up with Corduroy alright, I've seen this 37 times. I love it, but it's not going to get you going like something else will. I think Nothing Man is right in that sweet spot of like, it's from one of the classic albums it hasn't been overplayed it's rare as a cover and it's a really good sing-along that the crowd gets to participate on and i think all that leads into yeah just a fantastic opening this whole seated section i think is very underrated i think it's one of the best sit down sections they've done since they started doing it
0: and mind you it sets the tone perfectly for the night because you're starting with vitalogy and all throughout the night, you're going to get hit. Bam! Immortality, Corduroy, Spin the Black Circle. You're going to get six. Oh, I tell all in the main set. Like, mm-hmm. Six out of seventeen. Mm-hmm. It's good. I wonder what the decision went into that was. And maybe they were just feeling the songs. And maybe they hadn't been playing them for a while. You know, it was five shows since they played Nothing Man and Immortality. Six shows. So maybe they were just kind of all feeling it at that moment in time all at the same time. So yeah, it really worked. It really kind of made the show. Buckle Up followed that. And you were very excited to hear Buckle Up. I do remember that. I wanted to hear it. I wanted to see how it would translate live because listening to it on the record, you're like, okay, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it has a little bit of a tough time. And I think it's really, really tough to pull this off in the way to get your crowd 100% invested coming off of nothing man they really went hard for the first song and then buckle up like that guy I'm sure he sat right back down when he heard the oh, opening was yeah. like I don't know yeah. what the hell this song is <laughs> and probably said I don't want to know and personally I think I really liked the song I think I enjoyed the performance but it just didn't seem to bring out that extra oomph as a live song. I think it's one of those things where if you see Pearl Jam at more of like a theater setting, a seated section, I wonder if that translates better to that, where everybody's very concentrated on the music instead of celebrating their own experience.
2: Yeah, I mean, they've only played it seven times and only once since the show. It's just one of those that never got a chance, like, you know, All Right and a few other ones. But... Yeah, this was one of the ones that I definitely wanted to hear. It's it's quirky in a way that Pearl Jam hadn't been in had nearly 20 years. And I love those kind of like little offbeat, a little bit weird songs. There's something off about it. You're going to get your whoever said and quick escapes and the rock those are going to happen. But I love songs like this. They're a little to the left of center. And coming into this run of shows, I wanted to hear some things that I hadn't heard before and the only ones I got here that qualified for that were the Gigaton songs
0: yeah Buckle Up was the only new song for me in the set hmm. it was interesting I posed this to you does it ever come back into a set list oh you mean do they
2: ever play it again Yes. yes but maybe does it get to 10 I don't
0: know yeah I, I would doubt that I don't know if they touch it at all this year maybe in that same role you're going to say once okay i mean that's another conversation for another time but how the gigaton songs are going to survive all this is very very interesting but yeah we got black and present tense to talk about so we'll leave that for i don't know conversations whenever ed says here good evening and hello smashville i don't know about you but up here on stage feels pretty good and it sounds like they built this place for music We've been looking forward to this one for about two and a half years. Ooh, staking the heart a little bit. Ed says he got a text from a friend that said this town is on fire. And Ed's like, okay, yeah, Friday in Nashville. He said, no, it's like there's yesterday and then the day before and the day before. So I think it's maybe summer in Nashville that we're extremely happy to celebrate part of it with you tonight. Summer thing was very interesting because around this time i think he did it at cam then he might have done it somewhere else that i went to but he's starting to be like hey you know happy summer and we're like a week away from officially being a little bit yeah a little yeah a
2: little bit the arena did sound really good i remember that too like the acoustics in there were very good
0: yeah i was impressed by them there was one song that it's going to happen very soon that i kind of thought was a little muffled to me in the beginning, but sounds great on the boot, but we'll get to that. But yeah, overall, the sound was fantastic. It gives a little shout out to Josh right here and talked about how everybody came in early for Plural One, which, yeah, I, I think I did for the most part for most of these shows. I think I came in a little bit later on this one, if I'm not mistaken, but I caught mm. Nutshell, I think. Oh, yeah, it was great. I'm pretty sure I did, so... It's great to see the participation for the opener, always. Black and present tense. Black and present tense. Say that one more time, and it'll be more... We can can
2: stop the episode after this. I think we'll we'll, we'll pretty much be done.
0: This is the one and only time an O-T-O-T-O that these songs have ever been back-to-back. And it's so strange because they kind of have different kind of emotions that they bring, but the same idea of giving you that emotion and letting you kind of express it during song. Usually those songs are spread apart so you can get one in one section and then go later and and kind of feel another one and have that be isolated a little bit. But it's kind of crazy. These are two powerhouses that are just back to back, third and fourth songs in, which... Present tense had been commonly played to be the kick down the chairs moment, but Black, you know, you got to go back 2014 on that European tour. They were playing it in the top four, but really not a lot of play when they were doing this sit down set early. And I actually do remember another prediction that I had told Matt and Camden was that I thought. That black was actually going to be in that top three or four in camden and i just had to wait another night but both of these songs just it almost makes the night if you know what i mean like black was super intense and mike just absolutely destroys the solo and like you could have kicked down the chairs from there and it would have been fine nobody would have batted an eye at all I'm sure you're going to mention this again, but Ed holding out that B line too, that's another indication that his voice is feeling pretty good at this show. But yeah, black, but especially present tense right after these two absolute face melting powerhouses at this show.
2: Yeah, there was that moment, I think I talked about it either last week or two weeks ago, where he holds out the B line, no pun intended, and the crowd goes into the background vocal as he's holding it, like that's on the record, and that just gave me chills again. Yeah, an absolutely special moment. The crowd, I mean, pat ourselves on the back a little bit, singing along. You can hear loud the whole time on this, the crowd singing along. It's awesome. And yeah, like you mentioned, Mike, just I mean, Black, you get no argument from me, 2022, 2023. Black is their best live song, hands down.
0: And this version, you go back to the fans part, but this is like an end of main set slash encore version of Black and reaction of Black that's happening as the third song. And this set, especially main set, is going to have a lot of show-stopping kind of songs where they're going to need the crowd and the crowd delivers on this. So this is getting (laughs) warmed up pretty early doing these back. from this version is that Matt is playing that constant hi-hat tip. And I think when he's doing that, it kind of gives you the sense of like, maybe a little tension of he's building up to something. And when is that going to erupt? And I think you keep that in your head. You kind of keep that. It's like a metronome almost like he's right on cue like every fourth hit or something like that. And you just wait for him to explode. When it does, like it absolutely sails to the sunset. It's a freaking phenomenal version of this. But that little part, notwithstanding, I think, honestly, outside of the performance, the moment here goes to a poor old folding chair that Mike was sitting on. Because, you know Mike, somehow he made it through black in the chair the whole entire time. Somehow he did that, he did not want to. He was about to be like, no, screw this. This is a stupid gimmick. I have to be with my head held high and have to be at the amps and everything like that. And good for him for keeping that bottle up, I suppose. But for present tense, once it starts to kick, he gets up and then he almost circles around a little bit. And then just like a donkey, just back heel, and just kick that thing down the stage and out of eyesight. It was pretty awesome. You call this song a kick down the chairs moment. That's the statement that comes with that.
2: Yeah, that's the reason it's called that. We've talked about the versions of Black where Stone is on that acoustic guitar and it gives it that kind of classic timeless feel. Well, Stone is on the acoustic for the entire present tense as well, and that just added so much for me. There's a part during the build-up before everything breaks loose where Stone is doing a little double-time rhythm on the acoustic guitar. Oh, it was just absolutely fantastic. I could listen to that all day long.
0: Yeah, again you never got these two back-to-back in any scenario before, so just take it for what it is and just bottle it up. And if you were at the show, just know that this was special. All right, let's kick into the set, which really, the set has kicked in. Black is really the non-physical way of kicking down the chairs, but they dug into the heavy part of the set already, I feel like. They didn't treat present tense or black at all, like sitting in chairs moments, but the real like, okay, let's get up and let's do upbeat stuff. Last exit, then all night, and then whoever said. And this is the one where I listened to it and I kind of heard that drum beat. And I was like, hmm, it's recognizable. And I'm trying to put two and two together because usually with last exit, I know that right the beginning when he gets into it, it's like it resonates and it kind of makes an impact on your brain where like the second you hear it, you're like, okay, I know what this is. Let's go. This is the beginning of Vitalogy. And for this, something I missed with this where I couldn't quite hear the guitars and it was down tuned that didn't help the song. I didn't figure out it was last exit until like right before I'd started singing. That kind of took me out of the song just a little bit. This is one of your songs. This is a I know. track. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, I know. I love it. And yeah. they go on to play it in St. Louis. I think they kind of knew that they wanted to give this another try. And the St. Louis version was terrific. This one, it just felt like I didn't get that instant reaction of knowing it was last exit right from the start.
3: Yeah, the
2: show is streaky. You get a really good streak in the top four then i think for me it it falls off a little bit with the next few and then it's going to kick back up you're going to get a really good streak in the middle it's going to kick down maybe a little bit, and then you're going to finish strong. So it's it's very streaky. It's got some really good runs in it, but overall, it's not perfect. Yeah, last Exit, I thought was okay. It wasn't like on the front foot like it normally is and needs to be. It didn't have that push and surge behind it that it normally does. And All Night almost falls apart. We don't really even have to get into that if you don't want to.
0: Well, I kind of do. Well, All Night's my song, <laughs> you know. So, true, <laughs> of true. course. You were
2: there, so they played it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I had six opportunities to get it and they said Nashville's the right time Friday night go celebrate. And I think my reaction, I think Patrick kind of looked at me and kind of laughed because he loves the song. And I think he just kind of laughed. Then I laughed it off and I'm just like, all right, now's a good time to kind of do whatever I was doing with updating the set list on Twitter or whatever. I think it was a good opportunity because uh, this was a disaster (laughs) Um, and that's putting it lightly. They probably should have abandoned him. Uh, Yeah, they certainly could have, but you got an iconic moment from this because if you watch the video, you see that Ed gets into the course way too early and Stone's just playing and doesn't even look up at him and he's just nodding his head, no, just nope. Mm (laughs) It <laughs> just nonchalant.
2: That's wrong. Wrong. Everything yep. about this is wrong. Yeah. Yep.
0: And it sounds like I don't know. Maybe this was an Ed idea, and he was like, "Guys, guys, you know, Friday night, like this will be a great one." Maybe the guys were just like, "All right, we haven't played it in a while, so we're, we're a little rusty on it." And that was kind of a Ed, we told you so. Sort of not.
2: Yeah, but I yeah. I liked the song when they started into it. I was like, "Oh, awesome!" Like Deep Cut. Here we go. But then it just, it was what it was. It was the blemish on the musical part of the the black sheep of the night.
0: Version number six, though. So second for me. Aren't you lucky?
2: That's right.
0: But speak about streaks, because whoever said I'm currently on an eight show streak, I still can't believe that I'm saying that. Out of all the shows that I went to in 2022. I only saw three songs every night, even flow and alive, obviously. And then Mm. whoever said, which I was thrilled about. Now, when you got to the Chicago versions that I saw, I'm like, all right, maybe they shouldn't have done it both nights. But as this tour kept going, especially this run, this song continued to gain tons of steam. The crowd continued to react to it. And not putting it lightly, like this version made our top a hundred of 2022 when we did that list. We thought very, very highly to put it somewhere, and I think that's part of the statement that this song was making during the time and the way that Ed was sort of emoting some of those lyrics, kind of in that fast part that you don't like that you think He's that screaming. the song takes too long.
2: He's screaming no at one point, like no, no, and then,
0: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: I mean, it's it's fine, but yeah, this song is. Just doesn't do it for me. It's
0: it's too long. It's a little disjointed in a way, some of this stuff, because you're stopping and then you're going and you're stopping and you're going. And I think the, like the next five songs have a speech before it. But it's a good way to end out two versions that didn't quite hit the mark. Now that I say it, I didn't think about this before, but I wonder if he's stopping to talk all these times because it's like, all right, well, need to save my voice for the next yep. two days. Yep. So here we go with this. This is going to be one about Johnny Ramone because as we start the next one, I was reminded that yesterday, 18 years ago, we had lost a legend that you all know him and his Ramones brothers. They pretty much invented punk rock. We lost Johnny Ramone 18 years ago yesterday. And Ed was not thrilled with the crowd's response to that. And I think when you kind of talk, about somebody in the past tense and somebody that's not here anymore your instant reaction is okay like pay respect but he was like come on come on hey yeah, let's like go, did you come expect, on. like
2: a huge round like yeah it's weird
0: johnny yeah. ramone come but like people.
2: you're talking about his death like yeah i think that was my response too like but we're bringing things down now that's not something i was going to like cheer wildly for you know not the right reaction i don't think
0: But the story is really good here. This is a story that's been told before. I believe if you want to go back in your bootleg catalog to Hamilton 2011, I believe he told the same exact story. It's about that day when he passed, he had his daughter at his house, three months old, and she was on one side of the room sleeping in her car seat. And then Johnny was on the other side of the room in his chair, and he appeared to be sleeping peacefully as well. It's like one of those lessons about appreciating life in the cycle. There's part of it that you have to accept it. I remember that day being in the middle of those two beings, one just starting her life and one about to end his. I remember looking up to the skies and said, you really don't have to teach me this lesson. I fucking know it already, but it's good to be reminded, right? And this is one that whenever Johnny came to see us play, this was his favorite Pearl Jam song, which is Corduroy, our third Vitalogy of the Night. And yeah, this is a great version. I think what I loved, I love the extension before you get into the call and response moment. Then of course, when you do get to the call and response, it's hey-ho, let's go a little bit there, which is pretty appropriate, of course. And the part that Mike does kind of when that part gets extended and they don't go into the everything has changed, I I don't know, every time he does something, it's kind of like it's growing. It's giving me the sense of almost like a plant getting life from water and the sun. I don't know, it's like photosynthesis or something like that, that it just feels like it's developing and it's positive and gives you sort of a ray of light in a song that is much more aggressive than what that sound is yeah i mean
2: it's part of the continuing evolution of corduroy like for the longest time six seven eight years they were doing that extended version it would stop and they would bring it down but here like that solo is starting to creep back in a little bit like mike keeps it going there's a cool little jam there i love that like yeah keep perfecting it you know like don't let it rest a certain way but yeah i love that it. it gives it just so much more energy because now the crowd is used to the new version and then when it doesn't stop and it keeps going, you're like, oh, this is something cool. Like They're bringing it back. They're going something extra. So I think that really brought the crowd back a little bit. This is the beginning of the next for me and I love the calm response getting to do that again and then of course the Blizz Creek pop is fantastic.
0: And you notice that the crowd it's gotten to the point now where this has been the standard that the crowd isn't doing the everything is chains Mm -hmm. right at that point where you know it to be Mm mm-hmm it's impressive that's that's when you know you have a very studied crowd
2: and the solo is wild here again just mike graffiti good lord like tears this thing apart at the end
0: like i said there's a lot of showstoppers in this main set and showstopper and Corduroy go hand in hand so absolutely ed thanks everybody after that and says i can feel them in the back too and then this next song is a request by mr jeff amen I think he forgot to say that it was also a request by Patrick Bogle because he had been talking about this all day and he didn't want to wait on the merch line either. So I believe Andrew Taylor was fifth in line or something like that. And it was his birthday, so he really wanted the poster for this. And I believe that Patrick... And him cut a deal or something like that where he would get the poster for Patrick. And it it was a perfect combination for him because of course the rats that are on the poster and sort of the Pied Piper idea that the poster art delivers, it was also Brad Clausen, who he loves Brad Clausen posters. So he said about 80 times before the show started we better get rats tonight. It's absolutely happening tonight. And I think the lyrics were on the back of the poster as well. So yeah, that's yeah. another tie-in. But thankfully, Jeff recognized that as well, put it on the set, and a little rarity right in the middle. You know, a little Oh, the, the
2: crowd explodes when they start into it. It's like, yeah, everyone was waiting for this.
4: Oh,
1: they don't eat, don't sleep They don't eat, don't sleep Get yeah, all their bombs open to...
0: It was fun to see, and I'm lucky enough to have seen rats sort of more than the average. I guess if it's another all night, then it kind of fits in that. I think I've seen this six times as well. Going to shows at the Garden, They always kind of make the New York City rat reference or something like that, so you always, for the most part, get it there. But yeah, this is a fun song, and Stone was on fire on that solo and sounded terrific and Mike as well with his little slide guitar thing is really good too and I don't know if you noticed this but on the fuck to procreate line you see Ed is very handsy in this and did you see what kind of gesture he did on that line
2: oh no I don't remember this
0: oh yeah he he did uh he did a little fuck to procreate kind of gesture <laughs> with his two fingers 17. yeah hmm yep that some kids in the front that we're going to talk about later probably didn't understand but yeah. they probably do now
2: another kind of left turn here, keeping the crowd off beat over like didn't expect this one but yeah I mean it's just super fun another one from verses that everybody knows and it's another one that hasn't been overplayed from those records same as nothing man like a really kind of underrated song that, that people get to sing along to and everyone gets excited for
0: i know there's a lot of musicians out there This is Gibson Les Paul, perhaps made right across the street. Mike has also got a blue SG that he's playing tonight that he's saving for dessert. We'll talk about that more later. This is before the cops came to get you because he was on the way to the factory and then he stole it. He was very smart about it because he had a Memphis copy of the SG and when they weren't looking, he switched it. A little Indiana Jones switch, I suppose. So it wasn't really a theft, it was more like a heist. And I can appreciate that. And we'll use some t-shirt money to bail them out, and then mentions uh, a little place called Grumpy's Bail Bonds that they passed along the way. They said, we could just drive through Grumpy's. If you can imagine, first of all, you're really bummed out because you have to raise bail money, so you're not having a good day as it is. And then you gotta call a guy named Grumpy. Jesus, what a fucking day this is, Right that's fun grumpies. I'm sure for local people, they were like, ah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that ad on TV or something like that. And you know, got oh, a down here, there's, that.
2: there's bail bonds places every 10 feet down here.
0: Sure. Yeah. I'm not surprised by that. And he also dedicates this next one to Jenny Marsh and Erica Cruzen. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. If you remember the last time before this, that were, they were in Tennessee. We mentioned the show before Memphis. Dave Cruson was actually at that show, so right. Right. I'm not sure the name of his wife or daughter. Yeah, or something I, like I looked that. it
2: up. I looked it up and tried to figure it out. And I couldn't find it, but I'm guessing either one of those. Yeah.
0: Also, got to mention this too. He was saying, "Yeah, Pete Townsend might have played this same exact guitar that I'm going to play mm-hmm. here." So that's a nice little touch, and that'll get you into wish list, which is very very cool. The improv is really impressive. I think you have to kind of go back because. As he would talk about before sleeping by myself in St. Louis, it was the weekend of him and Jill's wedding anniversary. So a lot of these lines here, if you're lucky, wishes will all come true. If you're lucky, you'll marry your best friend. He's been on the road for a couple weeks now and she's back in Seattle. And I'm sure knowing this time and how special this time period is for them, that he's thinking about it. So that was a nice little touch.
2: one of the songs from this year in this gigaton era we can say now that it's over that was on a hot streak and really had a resurgence this time i love these versions of wishlist anytime there's an improv you know i'm a sucker for that stuff and this one's fantastic it fits in perfectly with the lyrics and wishlist like it's kind of sweet and romantic like the song is then they go into waiting on a friend tag at the very very end so we saw this year he would break out like the disco ball and the disco helmet and everything but this one's just nice and sweet, and you don't get that a lot in these songs like We're Coming Off of Rats. So, a little bit of a 180 there. But yeah, I love this version of Wishlist, and a lot of these versions from the last few years have been some of the best in a long time.
0: Yeah, usually when I hear Wishlist live now, I kind of, I don't want to say tune out at all, but it's not oh, one that. It's great. Well, that's the thing. It's not one that I look for, that I seek. And I think this version kind of perked my ears a little bit. I remember this being really good. So again, we're going to talk. And he says, since we're in a place that has more musicians per capita than anywhere else in our country, or even the entire planet, then it only goes to make you think that there are more crew folks and guitar technicians and drum technicians and engineers and live road crew out there. There's got to be more crew people in this town than anywhere in the world. And we just want to recognize them. I know that our crew, they work much longer hours, we're so grateful, and we've been a family for over 30 years. As musicians, we're all part of that same family. We're just fortunate in recognizing all the hardest workers in this town. Again, none of this happens without them. Mike McCready, what you got tonight? Let's go into Evenflow and then dance of the clairvoyance right here. I took away from the sound of Evenflow, honestly, a lot from Stone, the way that his rhythm pattern was just like a chugging motor and that really kept the song running. While Mike is obviously putting forth his amazing effort in even flow as he always does, I thought Stone was a highlight.
2: Yeah, I agree. I'm always listening for the rhythm that Stone is doing here and to see what kind of groove he's getting into and what he's doing on the rhythm guitar there. But again, bearing the lead, like Mike just terrorizing the Gibson there on this one, just destroying the solo. Again, to see this live for me, not having seen them in six years, to come out and just watch him do this was really, really special.
0: That'll get you into another Gigaton song. It's been a little bit. I think they do four overall here with one more coming in a little while. Dance to Clairvoyance. I don't have much to say on Dance. I thought that this was a really good version, though. I think in the instant reaction, I said something like, I thought that Dance was one of the best live Gigaton songs, and I'm sort of surprised that I said that.
2: Yeah, it was fine. It's another one that didn't have the impact that they had hoped it would. And that's another one that will be interesting to see what they do with it this year.
0: I think it stays around. I don't think it's like the single and the knockout from Gigaton that they wanted it to be. But I think it stays around enough. Here he's given a nod to Jack White's Third Man Records, of course, as they put out a release on there and an in-store on there in 2016. And then he gives a shout out to what he says is local Seattle record store. He doesn't say Easy Street Records by name, but he mentions Kevin Larson in attendance. I probably should have asked Dukes about that. Dukes, my bad. You will ridicule me over text, I'm sure, in about five seconds. So waiting for that. Anyway, just kidding. That, of course, is going to get you into Spin the Black Circle. And I think we had this conversation a lot that we just thought, because this was a so-called geriatric period of Pearl Jam now, that we were getting older, and the band was drifting away from these kind of songs, that I kind of saw Spin the Black Circle go and Blood, which Blood is the one of the three that hasn't been brought in back, but I thought that they would fizzle out and go away to focus on songs that are more in their wheelhouse. They did it at the Apollo, and I think that really surprised me. I think seeing it here really surprised me as well, but it totally exceeded the expectations that I had thinking that maybe the song couldn't survive in this era of Pearl Jam, and they make it work. It's not like it's not going to survive. It's just they find different ways to manipulate it so it can
2: one of my favorite Pearl Jam songs going back to when I first heard it and yeah I did not expect to get this in any of these shows in 2022 so definitely a nice surprise and like you're not going to get a 1995 version of it in 2022 so don't expect that but in the moment I mean I was took to hear it singing along and doing the whole thing and They play it up a little bit. And when you're always in these cities that are known for music, you're going to get split in the circle.
0: For sure. Absolutely. So Ed talks about seeing a lot of people in this great music town and references kids section up in front and asks for some lights on the little fucking kids. Of course, you got a big responsibility being up there on stage with a mic and all that. And then these parents obviously bring their kids. But I bet I could talk those kids and their parents into them drinking their first glass of red wine tonight. I bet I could do it. There are birthdays out there, and he he did this a bunch, the whole Today Show bit. I think he did that a little bit last year. What was it, Fort Worth or something like that? But it's like at the end of the Today Show or whatever morning show, it's like, Oh, well, yeah, uh, Mel Paul Gibson. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Mel Gibson turned 77 today. Oh, happy birthday, Mel Gibson. Like, crap like that. And it's like, okay, yeah, give the people Yeah, the, the Ray answers.
2: Burris thing, you're going to lose people a little bit, because that's a deep cut.
0: Yeah, I think it should have probably just kind of connected with Walter Payton, because it says it's Walter Payton's birthday. He was wearing a Walter Payton shirt later in the show, and then shouts out a couple friends and yeah Ray Burris is kind of a random cub at least for me and probably for you as well but
2: yeah
0: may you all live forever into immortality this immortality is certainly going down as being immortal because it is a massive highlight from this night usually any era immortality will be but I kind of had this idea of where the song was going to go in these two years. And I thought that immortality was going to go back to being kind of that streaky song and streaky in a good way, where I think garden was really the 2022 song where they had big runs with it, where they had great performances and it all kind of led up to like, okay, well, let's open with it for the first time. I thought that that was going to come with Immortality. I thought we were going to see it in the sit-down sections. It never happened. And they played it six times in 33 shows this year, but it was two per leg. It was two in the West Coast, it was two out in Europe, and then two on the third leg in Northeast, South, Midwest, that area. So whenever you get it, it feels like they are going for something that's gonna hit home really really hard and the next four songs that are gonna end this main set as mentioned are all massive massive show which is very rare to get back to back to back to back and immortality kicking it off is just intense you get into mike solo and there's no like no slow burn to get to the big moment. He's just electric right away, and we'll get into that with Javier in just a second. And then the jam is just freaking incredible. Matt powering through and every direction you want the song to go in, and the band feeling it at every moment. I love this performance. It's just one of those things where you just have to witness and just be a part of the moment. And there were a lot of songs that I didn't remember from this night, but this one I took memory of.
2: Oh yeah, another one that just like Rats, just like Nothing Man, it hasn't been played enough for people to kind of roll their eyes and, you know, oh, I've heard this 25 times, you know. It still has that power because they haven't overplayed it 175 times as we speak, but it's all about that ending with Matt I mean just spectacular I mean they can still go to that well and the five six of them together can come up with something that intense and that special in that moment I mean just an incredible performance and incredible song yeah all in
0: let's go to Javier here want to talk about that little precursor before getting into the moment from Mike it was just really interesting because if you watch the video he is manipulating the knobs on his guitar and it's kind of creating a different sort of sound. And talking to Javier, what he's gonna say right now is that that's not something that's normal that Mike does. So let's talk about this whole piece and what Javier thinks about it because he's the best at what he does.
3: John, hey everyone on the podcast. So we're covering Nashville 2022 this week. And I'm going to focus on Immortality. Why? Because it's a pretty badass version. That's why. So the lick itself, the riff itself, is not very complicated. You're like, whatever, dude. He's like like a guitar guy. He can do whatever he wants. Yes, that is true. But also, it's pretty interesting that his delay pedal, the DL4 that he has been using for such a long time... He's stacking notes, so what he's doing right now is playing the fourth of a note and then adding that layering up with the delay pedal. It's a very interesting detail because also he's doing little wails here and there. The wails are when you pick the guitar string and you turn on your volume knob completely wide open while the delay pedal is on. It's going to create that whale sound. It's a cool little trick that Mike has been using for a very, very, very long time. Very noticeable details about this cool trick that he uses is at the end of black. When that breakthrough is over, you're going to hear that he will start to layer up with the delay pedal. He will remove the booster and he will start to get like super mellow, nice little whales floating around in the space. He doesn't run the delay on stereo, which I don't know what would it be. I think it will be super, super cool. He seems like a very good old school guy. that He wants to run everything in front mono, which there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, that's what is Immortality for this week. Now, if you listen to this at the end, there's a little snippet of what layering up means when you're using a guitar and a delay pedal when you're stacking notes one quarter on top of the other one. Check this out. Thank you.
0: gotta be somebody like javier to go down deep and understand that hey this is what he's doing with these turning knobs and everything like that like that's some stuff right there i give him all the credit in the world for having that attention to detail again i said he's the best at what he does show me somebody else and i might tell you "Mm, see javier first he's got a gear garage coming on black very very soon and It's very, very good. I've only heard little bits and pieces of it at this moment, but uh, holy cow, he went to all different directions to get the right sound, and he freaking nails it. So wait for that on Patreon very, very soon. can't wait. Very excited. Love and Immortality, and now Ed is going to talk a little bit about Ukraine. If you're anything like us, You'll always go for the underdog, and I'm feeling that emotion as strong as ever recently. That's because we've been thinking about the city and the people in Ukraine. This week we heard good news about them taking back parts of their country, and we hope that the tide is turning, they can use all the support that they can get, and a little thing like all of us lighting our phones in the air tonight and sending some video to let them know that people here are supporting them from the great United States of America we're feeling for them, we're rooting for them, and we sing this for them. And that will be River Cross. This turned into a song that had the connection with Ukraine. Yeah, it
2: became a message song.
0: Right. And I'm wondering what that message would have been in 2020 when they would have played it in 2020.
2: Oh, it's beautiful.
0: He did it with a live from home performance of it where he played it at his house.
2: Sure. And like, man, he nearly, I think he broke down during that version Like, couldn't finish it by the end It got very emotional, which was interesting to watch And it was very intense and So I think it would have been more of that But then it kind of became the Ukraine's I army mean, You saw they had flags going And the screens, I think, showing and Yeah, it became a whole thing But yeah, another one from Gigaton that I was really excited to get And really hoping to get and glad they played it
0: Now, this is a good one to ask Do you think that the pump organ stays home in 2024 that it's not going to get lugged on stage every single night and
2: they Ukraine is still fighting for its life so oh I know
0: yeah this song is going to be relevant for a while I'm sure but yeah seeing all the fireflies it doesn't get old this is just a moment where everybody again it's sending a message and everybody's doing something together it's not one of those things that's going to end a war or anything like that but It's hope. And it's just the knowledge that other people around the world are rooting for you. And they're hoping that you're safe. And they're hoping that this war can end at any moment. Granted, nobody in Ukraine is looking at this concert and saying, wow, this really does something for me. They're probably in a place, maybe a lot of them are in places without electricity. Who knows? But it's just something to put out there. If you believe in it, then do it. And I think it was the right thing to do. And it was a pretty impactful version. It was very triumphant. One thing to hit home is that Ed very matter-of-factly saying, I want this moment to last forever. And he doesn't sing it. He just says it as just a thought that came to his mind. And I wonder what was going on in his mind during that. Whether it's seeing everybody in the crowd doing this and knowing that everybody is working together or something on a different plane but little things like that speak volumes.
1: I want this dream to last forever. ever wish denied to lengthen our time I want this moment with last forever. Let it be a lie that all futures die While the government drives on discontent And there's no such thing as clear Or prophetizing and proselytizing
0: Better man falls that up and you kind of need something to follow up where your crowd's going to get invested and they're going to sing every lyric and they're going to dance and, and do everything. And better man is exactly that. And what's weird about better man is that I was convinced that this was closing the main set, that they weren't going to go to the porch after this because did you even need to it? was a really explosive version. It was a big sing-along. It was a big moment. And as mentioned, there's so many showstoppers here that in the moment in the song, didn't even consider that Porch would come next, almost.
2: Yeah, I remember just like, even after Immortality, and again, we're definitely in the middle of a hot streak here. I mean, Immortality could have closed it with these shorter sets you know only playing 23 24 25 songs you're gonna get little runs like this where yeah it's just back to back to back just man how are they gonna follow that? oh my god how are they gonna follow this up? oh my god here's another one that's what these shows are gonna be as long as they stay at this level and yeah i mean amazing intensity to go from the power of like immortality into a really heartfelt emotional moment in river cross and then this crowd just explodes on better man you can hear singing the whole time again
0: this was like an eight minute or so version and you can tell they are just milking it for all all it's got and i think that's another reason where it's like you just crush this you don't have to do porch you know like save porch for the encore almost but they do the full save it for later which is always awesome you know the dirty lovers and all that and then with matt he almost refuses to end the song he just keeps going and as like those last chords are kind of hitting and that dun dun dun. it almost seemed like the band was challenging themselves to be like all right who's gonna end it first who's gonna end it first and matt was like it's not gonna be me and then snow was like well i'm not doing it and ed's like oh i'm sure as fuck not doing it it just lasted forever and it was so much fun So after all that, you do get porch and you almost have to kind of sit down for a second because you're just like, shit, we experienced all of those highs. And while porch is certainly a high, it's one that I think I had saw a bunch of times already on tour. And I was just like, damn, (laughs) like the encore needs to start early a little bit. Like I'm in on this, I'm excited for it, but they just kicked my ass at a moment where I feel like saying, boy, I want to take a break during Porch. That's That takes a lot to say that. Yeah,
2: I mean, you're building off of this run of big show-stopping, intense songs, and Porch just takes that and just shoves it back in the crowd. I mean, just another one that you're like, how are they going to keep this up? Like, how do you follow Better Man? Like you said, Better Man could have closed the main set. It had that kind of feel to it. but. Yeah, I mean, coming out with Porch, another one that everybody's going to be into. I mean, everybody's going to be pumping their fists at the end, and the jam is really good again. Jeff and Matt together sound really good. So they're playing it every night, so you knew you were going to
0: get it. It's going round after round after round. It's like a boxer that will not let you get TKO'd. It just wants to keep hitting, just wants to keep hitting, smack you around. and Yeah, they smacked us around a little bit. All right, we're at the encore, so let's pause for station identification and talk about Patreon for a quick second here. So we got one new patron this week. Big thank you goes out there to Ernie. Thank you so much, Ernie. Whether it's Ernie Ball or Ernie and Bert, who knows, but it's Ernie. So thank you so much, Ernie, and welcome to our wonderful Patreon community. And for all you out there that also want to join the Patreon community, then you are welcome to get on that train whenever you feel like it. We're going to have the instant reaction episodes hard and heavy this year. And this week, we're going to have a brand new late night series episode. We're very, very close to finishing them. We're going to do it on the Late Night with Fallon 2013, the Pearl Jam week. Where we'll not just talk about Sirens and Lightning Bolt, we'll talk about the performances from Cornell and the Avid brothers, as well as Robin Pecknold and Dirks Bentley as well. So, the whole week and all those performances, we will touch up on. It should be a fun one. I have great memories of it. And yeah, that's the kind of thing that you'll get from joining up to Patreon just the constant mix of original exclusive content. And as mentioned before, Javier's got that Your Garage focused on black that every single person should listen to. I'm serious. You have to listen to this one because he really went above and beyond for it. If that's a good enough sell for you, then boy, that makes my day and makes Javier's day as well. So what I want you to do, if you're not a patron is I would love for you to just go on to patreon.com slash live on four at this very moment and just check it out. Just take a look, see what's out there See if anything tickles your fancy, and if it does, toss us a dollar. If you are in for a month and you're like, hmm, this stuff is okay, I feel like continuing this, then you have the choice to pay for the year, you have the choice to increase your tiers in order to get an episode request, or you can just stay donating a dollar a month and that's fine by us, as long as you get exactly what you want out of being on that platform. It's going to be a big year over there. We're going to do more Evolution episodes that really hasn't been decided on yet, but it's going to happen, which songs don't know at this very moment. But that's all we ask right now is just go to the page, take a look, and just see for yourselves what we have to offer. There are little sections where you can see sort of bundled together where all the Evolution episodes are, all the late-night series episodes are. So if that's something you're interested in checking out, I, I implore you definitely do. And as mentioned, there is going to be a lot of stuff coming down the pike with a new album, with a new tour, everything. There's going to be a lot of Patreon content. So outside of being on patreon.com slash live on four legs where you can join, you can also go and download the Patreon app and search for live on four legs and you can listen to the episodes and search and read things on the app. Or you can go to liveonfourlegs.com and maybe check out some Concertpedia writings before going and clicking the orange button right at the top that says become a patron and just joining in. So it helps the podcast. We have a big year ahead of us, and we can use all the help as humanly possible. Even if it's a dollar a month, it's extremely important. So... We thank everybody that's been doing it for so long, so many of you that have been contributing and making the show what it is and making the show better. And I mean that, like that's not just me saying something. I mean that. And we just hope to continue it on for the next year, another year, another year, another year, another album, another tour, however long it has to take, we will be there and we will keep impressing you guys, we hope. All right, back to the rock. Ed toasts one of the best crowds and says, "All right, Louisville can wait here, but I think we need to go address some folks in the back." So that, of course, is the whole switcheroo, and you're gonna play a song to the back here. There are all the options that are usually open. Wish list hadn't been played a lot to the back at that point, but of course that one's not available. You do have Small Town available. You have Smile available and then you have last kiss available. And their choice on this is the latter. I remember our dear friend Patrick not being very happy at this decision and getting up and storming out to go get another beer. <laughs> but
2: think of Maricor, just just think of Maricor. She'd be so excited.
0: Of course she would be. She doesn't live in Nashville. If it was in San Francisco, I'd say, of course. But you does not live in Nashville, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, but, you know, try to try to keep a positive spin on things. Think of what Maricor would say.
0: Look, I'm good for the song Wants a Tour. I got this in Toronto. I thought that that would be enough. So I was a little like, well, you're pushing your luck, you guys. Mm. But whatever.
2: Yeah, only I, the third time I'd seen it, so it hasn't worn out on me yet.
0: Honestly, it's a short song. It's not like they last forever with it. They're not playing it to me because I'm technically in the front, even though I'm like side stage, but they go to the back. Everybody in the back gets a good moment. And if they're happy, then we're happy. So that's all that matters there. But that is going to go into a song that's completely the opposite of what Last Kiss is. And that would be Go. And it's the first time they're playing Go since the Paris show and everybody that remembers the Paris show is the one where ed loses his voice and says that the wildfires that were happening in france was a key factor into why his voice wasn't in top shape and of course some of the canceled shows that followed that but they did go that night that version of go didn't quite hit home it had some trying times but i feel like they brought it to the table here and i feel like they had something with it and again they must have been feeling pretty good about this because when they bring it into St. Louis, it is the main set closer. So, again, another song that I didn't think would be on the table very much in this era, but when they go for it, they're going to do it. And right here, I think this was one to get the crowd into and sing along. And they do sing a couple parts where Ed gives it to them, do the don't go on me and all that.
2: It's great. Yeah, I thought this was fine. The St. Louis version definitely is the standout, but... Yeah, this one was fine, but again, getting Last Exit and Spin the Black Circle and Go in the same set in 2022 is just, man, that's not something you would have expected going into this tour.
0: And having none of those three be like the standout moments from this show. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Ed's going to give Boom a shout out here. It says this one features Stone on bass guitar and Jeff on lead guitar. And we're playing this for somebody that wrote on a sign. It was his 185th show. That somebody happens to be community great guy, Mike Dajama. So great to yes. see him get his moment. Really, really nice guy. I've had a couple conversations with him. And he is definitely very passionate about this fan base. And I believe if you're on PJ Bay, he's been selling posters every day. Hmm. So if there are some posters you need, jump on uh, yeah exactly and it's all random stuff it's stuff from 03 it's stuff from 16 whenever
2: i've still got a bunch of pearl Jam vinyl, so hit me up there you go
0: yeah. <laughs> where we've become a garage sale it. that's right this episode. <laughs> i got nothing you cannot have any of my things they're all mine damn it they're mine uh anyway It makes a little bit of a joke and says, oh, he's lying. There's no decimal point there. It's 18 and a half shows. And yeah, just a little fun moment to get to Smile. Smile is going to be packaged together. We're given a fly. And this whole encore, even with Go, it feels like nice and light. Yeah. You know, Alive is going to be a big showstopper and everything like that. But it feels like these songs are just kind of made for everybody to go home happy on you
2: already had the heavy stuff. You had black and yep. present tense. You had immortality and river cross. Like we've already been through the ringer during this main set. Let's just get out of here in a good mood.
0: I don't disagree with that at yeah. all. And anything on smile and given to fly that you want to expand um, on here? Again, no code song.
2: Love it. And given to fly. I love given to fly late like this. Like I thought I added a lot to the song to get it later you're on. You're kind of in the mood to celebrate and you're in the mood to, to sing along and have a good time. And yeah, I love given to fly here.
0: Just very lighthearted moments. And then we're going to get into a massive talking point here with Alive and Ledbetter, because as Ed mentions before, Mike had a little bit of a dessert to bring out, and that's when Alive hits. He's playing a 1958 Flying V taken straight from the Gibson Vault, valued at $250,000. Imagine that.
2: Too rich for my blood.
0: Yeah, I don't think I'll ever see that money in a lifetime.
2: (laughs) Travis Howell pointed that out to us. He gave him a shout out on the concertpedia. So thanks, Travis. But yeah, it even gives him a little thing. that mentions
0: Honest Gibson, Mike McCready. And I think what Travis also had said at one point, I think that Right after the performance, I think they had gloves on and oh, they yeah. took it right to the back, and it went right back into the vault handed right it, away.
2: Yeah, he handed it off immediately after, and they gave it the special treatment back to the vault. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about this guitar? Because I sure don't. No, no, I don't. But I think do you do you know somebody that might? I mean, Travis obviously, hmm. but
2: hmm. if some sort of guru that we could summon and talk to about it,
0: Javier, assemble.
3: So, yeah, that's a weird guitar, right? Like, you don't see that very often in this type of show. So, we did a little bit of digging, and apparently the guys, when they were playing this gig, they had access to the Gibson Vault. So, if you don't know about this, there is a store called the Gibson Garage, so you can get a bunch of, like, Gibson guitars, Epiphones, Scramers, you name it. But they do have a vault, where you can get access to first-year models and exclusive stuff. So in this case, he borrowed this Gibson Flying V 1958 that is made of Karina. Actually, if my information is right, this is guitar number one out of 81 made during that year. This is insane. We're talking about a guitar that probably right now is close to a million bucks. Why people like Karina, and why people were so obsessed with Karina around those years, still obsessed till this day by the way, is the resonance of the wood. It dries very quickly and is very resonant, and also, combined with those PAF pickups, it creates this super creamy tone that you can clearly hear, especially in yellow, a lot better. Another really cool detail is he's running the Karina through the Fender Amp. So that mastermind PVC controller that he has on his pedalboard right now, He's basically picking up different amp selections, so whenever he has, I don't know, high drive he will go through the Rola, low drive he will go to the Deluxe Reverb, and full blast on when he's soloing, he will include that twin reverb that is in the bottom, but my ears are telling me that that Flying B was running to a very, very crank to Deluxe Reverb, and it sounds freaking outstanding.
0: This was obviously the talking point that's in Javier's wheelhouse, and... Maybe one of the coolest segments that he could do is to talk about and gush over that guitar. Not something that happens that often where they're playing a classic piece of music history. That's why he's here. Very, very, very cool. And we thank him once again. And once again, we tell tell you guys, once the Gear Garage episode on Black is out, listen to it. Go and subscribe and listen. All right. So, yeah, this is so much fun. And it felt like Mike, I mean, he's tearing it apart. He's absolutely crushing the soul. But it felt like he also was cognizant of, like, being careful with it. You know, sometimes in a live, he can go running around the stage and kind of do his thing and running to the top. But this one, he's like, I'm just going to hang. I'm just going to hang and just focus on what I'm doing. Do you think he was nervous a little bit? Do you think
2: he was a little bit tentative?
0: Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. I think that he kind of understood what was going on and yeah. kind of knew what he had in his hands. I hope that earlier in the day, he got his hands on it and was able to play a little bit to just yeah. get the feel so he wasn't going in there cold. But Kid gloves uh, a little
2: bit. Kid gloves a little bit. That yeah,
0: but I mean, he destroyed the soul. I mean, celebration's on at this point. We're in send everybody home happy motive. And Ed is even connecting with the crowd. He's pointing well, some people are like, are you guys brothers? And, kind of doing some of that stuff and he's talking to people, he's up on the amps and things like that. And yeah, like when you want the party atmosphere and you want the big show and it feels like they were in a great mood the whole entire night and actually loved, loved, loved being in that building and loved being in Nashville. I think they wanted to end it off with all smiles. The version of Ledbetter, I think we kind of tie this back in and yeah there are going to be some mysteries that we might have to tell with this one but there is a big eruption that happens somewhere during the middle of Ledbetter and when you get to see the video, you get to see Ed conversing around where those kids were and it looks like he hands them a bottle of wine, I believe they were on the big screen where you Mm -hmm. saw them take a swig you're convinced that's Gatorade I'm... A little on the side of, like, why would he give him Gatorade, but... He's doing a bit. He's playing it up. Well, do you remember those kids' faces when they took a swig? Was it like, oh, my God, what the... Was it, like, hmm, Gatorade? I,
2: I, I don't remember, but they're playing it up. Like, this is, yeah, I, I don't think that they actually gave those kids wine.
0: If those kids are now adults... 10 years <laughs> into the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this was only,
2: this was only two years ago, a year and a half. They're not adults yet.
0: Right, 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 right. But like, this could be, they could be listening to this in 2028 20, or something like that. And but if their parents are listening, let us know. That's a good point as well. And that is where you are going to end the night, a fun one. And one that brought back some memories that I just seem to plumb forgot from this show. So now We're going to go over our favorite moments in a top three fashion. I'm going to say number three here is going to be black from this show. Number two here. Well, can't go black without doing present tense. So present tense is number two. Easy, easy. Number one is immortality. 100% hands down. I'm going to maybe surprise you a little
2: bit here. I'm not going to choose black, even though I loved it. I think there's enough here that I don't need it. My is that th-
0: going with your, your mind or going with your gut? Both. Both. Okay.
2: My number three is Wishlist. My number two is Nothing Man. And my number one is Present Tense.
0: Really? No immortality from this? It's,
2: I mean, it's right there. I mean, like it's those five. Nothing Man, Black, Present Tense. Wishless Immortality, like those are the ones. I mean, even Corduroy, River Cross get an honorable mention. But yeah, sticking with it.
0: I remember that it feels like everybody mentioned this on the Instant Reaction episode. Yeah. And feels yeah. like this was the takeaway.
2: Black and Present Tense too.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. So now it's such an interesting rating because, man, I wasn't even supposed to go to this show. In 2020, I didn't have tickets. My wife was recovering from surgery, and I basically was like, I need to go to something because I didn't get MSG or Baltimore tickets, so I kind of finagled my way into getting a St. Louis ticket, and I couldn't make Nashville work at the time, but as times changed and still wanting to go to that St. Louis show from that year, I wanted to go to Nashville too, and it just so happened that Patrick had an extra ticket. So I took that and went in. But as mentioned, this was an incredible run that I did. You know, from Toronto to MSG to Camden itself, like, you can retire after that. It was that good. But then getting Nashville and Louisville, I'm not really going to count. It's a nice show for what it is. It's not a horrible festival show by any means. But obviously, it's the weakest of the six and then St. Louis, that just blew all of our minds. It is really hard to put Nashville within those other four. And unfortunately, it's like my fifth of the sixth, and that's by default. But I think going into this, again, a lot of my memories just kind of cleared away because of how impactful the memories from Camden and especially St. Louis were, that I just really remember those performances. I had to get a refresher. This is a year and a half later. I had to get a true refresher on this show. And I think that my original reaction to this is right. I think I was right by saying that we had a hell of a show here. It was a hell of a good atmosphere. And that's sometimes what you take away. It wasn't a rare set list really by any means. They did a couple here and there. And it also didn't have a lot of the songs that when they play them at shows really cater to me. Again, that's a personal thing, but I had a different rating in mind when I went into this and I think I've got a full number up. I'm going to give this a nine. I'm actually going to do that. I didn't think I had that in me, but I think this is my first nine of the year.
2: Yeah, that's that's good. I am going to go a little higher. I'm going to give this a nine and a half. I think there's a lot of really fantastic performances and the band was in a great mood. They exceeded expectations. The venue was fantastic. The crowd was amazing. It has has all that stuff you need to get it to that level. But the only thing that keeps it For me, attendance is just the streakiness of SLS where they were hot, they were cold a little bit. Like some of it didn't quite hit like maybe they thought it would, but love the show. Again, first one for me in six years. So I was excited to get back into it. But yeah, just a notch below St. Louis for me.
0: All right. Well, next week, we are going to talk about the last show to date in the city of Atlanta, Georgia, from 2012.
2: can have a lot to say about that one. We're going to talk about that a little bit, especially if the dates are announced and there isn't an Atlanta show, which I'm not expecting there to be.
0: Yeah. I don't foresee that to happen unless there's a Hail Mary that's thrown yeah. at yeah. the last minute. But yeah, this podcast has all led to all of our Atlanta episodes and it's, uh, kind of feels like we've been gravitating towards this moment for a while now. So we'll get to, there's going to be some good stories because this is your first show since 98. So, yep. That in and of itself is pretty important. We got that going on for next week. If you are interested in that the Midtown Music Festival that happened there in September that year, not a lot of U.S. dates that year that happened. So one of the rare of the bunch. And look, that's that. If you enjoyed this episode, then please, please, please make sure you're subscribed. Because we will have more episodes, again, the one next week. And we also have episodes in the past. This is episode number 270. It's not like we haven't done this before. We are in a good groove. And we've probably done maybe one or two shows you've been to before. So if you want to check those out. Or hell, if you want to find out if we have covered anything you've been to before. I'm easy to get in touch with. Or the easiest way is live on 4 at gmail.com. Just email. But if that... Peaks your interest here, then please make sure you subscribe and please leave us a rating on either Apple or Spotify, because that really helps boost the visibility of the podcast. Because once you put ratings in and the algorithm knows that, okay, on Spotify, that's another five stars. All right, well, now we're going to put this to the forefront in Pearl Jam searches. It's really important to do that. It's really important to have that. So please. The five stars is really important, and I hope that we've earned it. Every week we say we think we've earned it, but the research should speak to itself. Again, on Apple, please, five stars. If you can leave a comment and let the next person that's looking for a Pearl Jam podcast, that's looking for their show to be covered, leave a comment for them and just be like, hey, if you love live shows, if you love Getting rekindled with your memories, then Live on Four Legs is the one for you. That's really, you can write it verbatim there and maybe quote me on that if you really please, but you're free to do it your own way as well. That's, of course, it. But again, it just all helps the cause. And if you're just interested in helping, then we are extremely gracious towards that. All right. Let's say goodbye. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already, miss you always. So Atlanta, next week, maybe we have some info on shows, maybe we don't. But until then, see you on the pod.
2: That's a chance, motherfucker.
1: Right
0: now it is my honor. It is
1: time for me to introduce a true legend, uh, MC5, uh, Mr. Wayne Kramer. I'll turn the mic over to you. <laughs> or here, I guess you'd call him Vane. So, Wayne, this is Verkter. Verkter, this is Wayne. And <laughs> uh, This is Marcus. <laughs> uh, There's Mr. Doug Pinnock right over there. Time friend, King's X. We want to do something special for you here. Wayne, will you uh, you talk to me?
0: Right now it's time to... Right now it's time to...
4: Kick out the jails, motherfucker!